Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If we just see it as being something other than disposable, which isn't, we can change our relationship with fashion. I'm more bothered about it than I would be if I wasn't engaged with the story behind how stuff was made and what's going to happen to it when I'm done with it. I'm Sarah Wilson and this is Wild, a show where we talk with the biggest minds in the world about the ideas that can help us love and save our one wild and precious life together on this planet. In today's episode, we cover off a big fat elephant in the room. The room being the disintegrating state of the planet, the elephant being fashion and our addiction to it. You might already know this, the fashion industry produces 20% of all global wastewater and more carbon emissions than, and wait for this, all international flights and all maritime shipping combined. If nothing changes, by 2050, the fashion industry will use up a quarter of the world's carbon budget. Now, you might already know this and you might already be concerned about the climate and the planet, and you might still buy fast fashion, follow the influencers who promote it, and still go shopping as a pastime. It's a cognitive dissonance that is hugely common, like awkwardly so. Shopping lovers, good friends of mine, people I love and respect, even people I know in the climate movement, dance around this elephant. They buy into the green carbon neutral pledges. They justify the purchase of their yoga leggings by saying that they're made from recycled plastic bottles retrieved, I don't know, from the innards of penguins or whatever. And when they have the inevitable big clean outs, which everyone I know seems to be doing on the regular, they tell themselves it's okay because they'll be bundling it up in plastic bags and dumping it outside op shops or thrift stores to deal with. But the bottom line, and maybe not everyone knows this, sustainable fashion is an oxymoron. Despite all the claims, the many studies and surveys reveal that not a single fashion company is on track to halve its emissions by 2030, in line with 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming threshold that determines our survival on this planet. Plus, those thrift stores and op shops, well, they only sell 5% of the clothing that we donate. The rest of it is largely dumped in landfills somewhere on the planet. Okay, so the flip side is we have to wear something. And I also accept that fashion is and always has been a form of artful expression. I respect that. I also have a lot of fashion designer friends. And so me banging on about how the only sustainable fashion is to not buy it or to buy very little of it is super tricky. I'm aware of the multiple quandaries because this is a hard topic. But we have to find a better way. 
we've got to find the best way to do fashion, which is a quest that today's guest and an old friend of mine, Claire Press, has been on for the past 10 years. Claire owned a secondhand fashion store in Sydney when we first met, and she was also a fashion journalist at Vogue. At the time, I was editor of Cosmopolitan. But soon into our friendship, she announced that she was going to be specialising in sustainable fashion, well ahead of anyone globally. She went on to write the book, The Wardrobe Crisis, How We Went From Sunday Best to Fast Fashion, which then became a podcast and then went on to become an Academy of Sustainability Courses. Claire also produces and co-hosts the Ethical Fashion Podcast with UN Officer Simone Cipriani, is a global ambassador for the Ellen MacArthur Foundation's Make Fashion Circular Initiative, and has been a member of the Australian Advisory Board of Fashion Revolution since 2014. She sits on Copenhagen Fashion Week's Sustainability Advisory Board and is part of Fashion Roundtable in the UK. There is much to cover off in this chat. It's a massive, complex beast, this elephant. So I get Claire to explain the basics so that we can get real about what most of us are contributing to. And then we literally drill down through a whole bunch of whatabouts. What about pleather? What about upcycling? What about the fact that when we buy online and we return it because it's the wrong size or the wrong colour, it invariably goes to landfill and doesn't go back on the rack. Anyway, we do all of this so hopefully you can walk away with the real information and make some really important decisions. Hey, Claire Press. It is so wonderful to have you here. I'm actually recording here at the Hub in Sydney as a guest of We Are Eight, which is a new social platform that I'm working with. I love that we're doing this in person because I feel like every interaction I have is online and this is a treat. We've got cake. We've got one-to-one <laughs> yes, personal that's action. that's it. I like When I was actually researching this chat, I looked at my bookshelf and remembered I've got a copy of Wardrobe Crisis, your book that you wrote in 2015-ish. Yep. I remember I wrote the forward for it and there's a very big mention of my green shorts (laughs) in that book. So this is a book about the first book that I wrote about sustainable fashion and I was obsessed with your creative reuse. <laughs> you had those shorts for like eight years. and In the end, it was 11 or 12 years, but yes, yes. And didn't they frame them? Didn't your family frame them for My you? My staff, I put sugar. Yes. Well, then they got in- obscene. They did an intervention. Somebody actually came in to my apartment, retrieved them and framed them. In the story of sustainability, we always say that the most sustainable clothes are the ones you already own. And, you know, think twice before rushing out to buy new things. And you, for me, were the poster girl for that. So thank you very much, Sarah Wilson. Yes, my pleasure. I'm glad, I'm glad I was able to sort of flag that message and continue to for many years afterwards. Let's talk sustainable fashion, which, as I flag in the introduction, is something of an oxymoron. It is very much the hard problem when we're talking sustainability. And I'm wondering, let's kick off with you talking us through why it is such a complex and hard problem. Tell us some of the environmental concerns that fashion presents. And I should flag to everybody here, there are, of course, ethical issues involved with um, fashion, but unfortunately, we're not going to have the scope to discuss all of those factors. Maybe I'll get you on for another discussion to that extent later, but we're going to talk environmental issues uh, specifically in this interview. So yeah, yeah, tick off some of the stuff that goes on when you buy an item of clothing. Absolutely. Before I do that, I'm just going to flag that when I talk about the fashion industry and its enormous size, I'm not just talking about 
capital F fashion or fashion in inverted commas that you might think about a Vogue catwalk or young women on Instagram buying fast fashion, which I think is a bit of a problem anyway. We'll come back to that. But when we talk about fashion, we're talking about all the clothing, accessories, footwear, workwear, kids clothes, sports gear, what you wear, hiking and mm. all the textiles. Clothing. All of, and, it. all of it. Yep. Got it. So often I think people feel that maybe they can get out of this one and say, I'm not into fashion, so it's not my problem. But I just like to sort of remind us that it's all of our problems. Yeah. In terms of its environmental footprint, it's enormous. Around 150 billion garments a year we think are produced. And I say we think because we don't have clear stats on that. We overwhelmingly consume them in countries like Australia, like Europe, like the US, whereas they're mostly produced in low-cost countries in what we term the global south, where people are not consuming them. So we are consuming more than our fair share. But think about that 150 billion garments. It's crazy. And if you can't get your head around what that looks like or how many that means per capita, just think about how much it's grown. So in the last 20 years, we've pretty much tripled clothing production. So we used to make 50 billion garments a year in 2000. So what this is, is a story of overproduction, of rampant consumer gone mad of, like I said, not just fashion, but everybody in consuming rich countries buying more clothing than they need. And then, of course, throwing it out, which yeah. is a big part of the issue, isn't it? Because when we're talking about the sustainability issues around fashion, it's not just the production, but it's a huge environmental cost and the water, the pesticides, insecticides, also the fossil fuel emissions. Mm. But then it's the transport. And then, of course, it's the disposal. That's a massive issue. And so it's a full life cycle. It's got a massive footprint for that full life cycle. Absolutely. And we are wasting clothes like never before. Clothing utilisation, that's how much wear we get out of our clothes, has gone down as production's gone up. And the average figure for how much it's gone down, I always remember this, is 36%. So we're just getting a lot less wear of our clothes. I just read a new report that came out in May. It was one from the US that figured that 50 billion of those 150 billion garments a year are going to waste within one year. Mm. So we're chucking out stuff within a year of it being made. The story of the waste in the fashion industry is one of the things that got me into this because it just makes no sense. No one actually wants to be doing this. It's demented. It is demented. And when you stop people and get them to think about it, they know mm. they are are addicted, that they've been duped by the messaging and by the supply-demand cycle and the franticness and so on. Have you seen recently all these pictures of our clothing waste littering once wild places? Yes. So in Chile's Atacama Desert is one that's been all over the news and also in Ghana. In Africa, yep. I mean, I think what's happening now is there's more visibility on what it actually looks like for all these clothes to pile up outside of formal landfills. And if you see those pictures in Chile, we should share them. It's absolutely, I mean, it really upsets you, it hits you in the guts, doesn't it? You think, how can this be something I'm connected to? Yeah. And then, of course, there's the domino effect of the microplastics, and we'll get to all of that. This is a tale of woe, isn't it? I know. Well, it is. It is. As I say, it's a hard problem. It's a very, very difficult issue to solve. We add to this, of course, the greenwashing. And I would say that the fashion industry is probably one of the worst offenders for coming out with bogus green claims, and they just slap it onto their label, and they put it out there in their advertising, and it's so hard for the consumer to know if it's legit or not. My impression is that very few of those messages are legit particularly the carbon neutral claims, because to the best of my knowledge, so far, there are no fashion labels that are legitimately carbon neutral. Well, I couldn't tell you about specific brands, but I think we as an industry have an enormous problem with greenwashing and that the idea of carbon neutrality is difficult at best. 
what that really means, and I'm sure you've talked about this before on this podcast, is that you are making up for your pollution well, you- by buying credits elsewhere. That's not actually reducing your impact. Exactly. And you're offsetting, you're basically offloading the responsibility of actually trying to get to a neutral space as opposed to actually taking carbon out of the atmosphere and net negative. You pass it on to somebody else to deal with. You buy credits. You buy, for example, credits that will plant trees somewhere else that have nothing to do with where you are manufacturing or what you're actually doing. I think the biggest problem with the phrasing around things like carbon neutral or carbon compensated, I mean, all these phrases that you sometimes read them on labels on garments, the problem is they're not very specific. And as a consumer, you've got no idea really and they're not what pleased. that means. I don't have it. For all the faults of the fashion industry, one thing that I think can be said for it is that there are efforts to actually clean up the act and actually provide some mechanisms for ensuring that these greenwashing claims are accounted for. So I think, correct me if I'm wrong, in France by January 2023, they're going to be ensuring that fashion labels are able to back their carbon neutral claims, which is awesome. The UK, I think, also recently investigated three brands for their green claims. I think New York City is doing a bunch of things. So there are some initiatives going on, right? You know, I want to say, Sarah, I think that lots of greenwashing happens inadvertently because people are not educated and people in marketing are not talking to people in sourcing and people actually don't really understand the language around some of this. So I don't think it's all malicious. I also think that the conversation is moving forward in such a way that when we used to talk about stuff like eco-friendly or green with good intentions, now there's more of an understanding that you can't say that because what does it it mean it's not specific. If you say something's eco-friendly, it means nothing. You have to say how, what sort of percentage you've reduced your carbon emissions on this particular product by and from what baseline. And the customer is actually not going to sit down and read all that or not open to necessarily hearing it. So I think the story behind greenwashing is a bit more complicated than we would like to make it. I don't reckon it's always brands just being I evil agree. bastards who but are they like, need guidance. I mean, it's a new realm and, and a lot of people don't know how it all works, including the experts. So it's, it needs guidance. It's the dark art of marketing as well. So obviously, when something gets buzzworthy like sustainability, then brands rush to capitalize on that because they know they can make money from it. They know that we as customers or consumers, I hate that word, are looking for more responsibly produced. I had to think about my words to not yeah. be greenwasher products, right? Yeah. So of course they're going to run to try to say, look, what we're doing is green. Look, what we're doing is conscious. It's sustainable. And that's the reason for it. But as you said, legislation is now clamping down on that. And we've got all these green claims, legislations being proposed, particularly in the Nordics, where they've been clamping down on H&M, for example, for using yep. the term conscious. But I'll tell you something I've noticed just in the last couple of weeks. There's a fast fashion brand in the UK, which is all online, sells very cheap clothes, like four pounds, called Boohoo. It's a monster. But they're, Kardashians are yeah, supposed to be just hired Courtney Kardashian Barker. I mm. now know her name and a lot more about her than I want to because I've mm-hmm. been looking into this as their sustainability ambassador. Come on, she knows nothing about sustainability. And then, she's a pinup girl for the opposite message. Exactly. And the clothing that she's wearing in this so called sustainable collection is recycled polyester, so made from fossil fuels. And the brand, Boohoo, is calling this collection or referring to some pieces in it as for the future. There's also lots of people working within brands big and small to try to do better and taking that very seriously. Let's not pretend that's not happening. It is. You don't meet people in sourcing who are like, I don't care. I want to lie about this. What they're trying to do is reduce the environmental impacts of what they're producing. And 
some of them are doing a really good job on that, even if it isn't entirely carbon neutral, if you want to use that phrase. Yeah. There's a brand in Denmark called Gabby, which is a women's wear brand, kind of a trendy mm-hmm. one. They've moved away from carbon offsetting to do carbon insetting where they're reducing impacts and volume in their supply chain directly. They're working with a factory in Portugal that's building a new facility. So Portugal's awesome for this kind of thing. They're very far advanced. They're actually big textile producers in Portugal. But it's interesting that Gani, if you look into them, they're very candid around we've realized what we were doing originally didn't work. Like Patagonia is similar with this, but now we're looking for a better outcome. That's all you can expect. I mean, that's all you can hope for, I think. Like I said, it's, it is really the hard problem. And I think one of the big things, Claire, that I feel needs to be done is we probably need to stop talking about sustainable fashion. It probably needs to be phrased responsible fashion because we're not going to be able to ever create sustainable fashion. I wonder if listeners are thinking there's no such thing. Yeah. Mm. Fashion can never be sustainable because it powers consumerism. And I think that's quite valid. (laughs) It is. So we've got to do the best we can. And there are certain industries in the quagmire of the climate debate that are hard problems. And so what we do is we do everything we can, and then we have to find solutions to offset and to neutralize what can't be avoided. Okay. But if you think about food, I don't think it's realistic to say eat less. But if you think about fashion, I think it is important for us to actually seriously consider consuming less. Not everyone's willing to wear the same thing till it falls apart for a decade, but all of us can think more about the way that we approach what we buy. And I don't want to lecture people. I used to work in Vogue. I'm definitely part of the problem. Mm, I I was a Cosmo, even worse. (laughs) So I'm not saying that it's, I'm not trying to be sort of holier than thou saying, just don't buy things. And I understand the hypocrisy of that. But I think we all need to look at the way that we consume as cultures and societies and think about what that looks like in the future. I think we've been getting away with overconsumption for too long. And now it's obvious that we can't get away with it. It's a rude shock, I think, for a lot of people when they realise their complicitness in all of this. But it's not a huge adjustment to, as I like to put it, shop like the French, which is to say you buy key quality signature pieces that are built to last and it's a much smaller wardrobe and you have a particular kind of style. But let's get to that because what I want to do is actually break down the various fashion quandaries that we all have to face. And I put the question out on Instagram stories and I think there was well over 50 or 60 responses. I've tried to distill them down. So let's rattle through them and I think some of your key points will come through here. Recycled products made from plastic. So recycled plastic, leggings and shoes and so on. I know that they get a very good wrap out there in the greenwashing sphere, but are they legit? Are they a problem? Claire, tell us. Is this like sustainable or not? Yes, exactly, exactly. (laughs) Bottom line, virgin resources, if you don't have to use them, that's going to be better. So using recycled has to be better. What people don't know about recycled polyester is that it is almost entirely not material to material recycling. What I mean by that is it's not someone's old leggings recycled into new yarn to make your new leggings. It's actually plastic bottles. So technically, we should call that downcycling because the leggings are of a technically lower value. And it takes a lot of carbon emissions to reproduce these bottles into a new product. It does, but it's still got a lower carbon footprint than using virgin. The one other thing that I'd add to that is my understanding is that it does 
feeding to the fossil fuels kind of vested interest, which at the moment, as people are consuming less fossil fuels, they're really switching their campaign to mm. plastic and particularly plastic bottles. And while ever we're saying, hey, plastic bottles are getting used to produce this, you know, great, quote unquote, sustainable fashion option, it continues the demand and the okayness of plastic bottles. Yes. I think actually the plastic bottle industry is getting better at closing its own loop. We're actually going to be running out of plastic bottles to put into leggings. Seriously? Uh, this is what I have been hearing from recyclers. What we need to do is material to material recycling. So we need the technology to advance so that we're taking post-consumer waste and turning it into new products. But yeah, we're feeding our fossil fuel addiction. I think so. Here's a stat for you, fun fact. Yes. 52% of all the material produced for clothing is polyester. 52%. So more than half of it is plastic. So essentially we've got a problem. We may as well recycle what we've got. Vegan leather, or pleather as we used to call it. Or plastic, it. as we could also call okay, it. Okay, that was one of the questions from Instagram. Is it just plastic? Mostly. Okay. So most vegan leather is PU, polyurethane, based, although it may be blended with other things. And some of the fabulous sounding new materials, e.g. this is made from cactus, or this is made from sugar cane. apple skins, mm -hmm. or this is made from sugarcane. That's a little bit different. The pleather ones, or faux leather, or leather alternative ones, that say they're using fruit-based waste, mm -hmm. are Binding that with a polymer and usually have plastic involved as well. So most faux leather is plastic, at least in part. Are there any new fibres, person-constructed fibres, that are exciting, that are worth looking out for? I want to say that natural fibres are exciting and worth okay, revisiting. Okay, that answer. And I'm a fan of silk. Silk does have on the Higg Index, not a great score. And that's apparently, I just researched this, I don't know, I've never been to a plant that makes it, but it's to do with how they have to pay to get the humidity levels right on the silk farms. So if they're not using renewable energy, that can be a big problem with carbon. Fine. But for me, a luxurious silk thing that I'm going to treasure and look after, that is actually a natural fibre, that is biodegradable, if I wanted to bury it in my garden, haven't got a garden, in my pot plant, mm -hmm. would disappear and go back to, in inverted commas, nature. Yeah. I like that better. I like cotton better. I prefer organic cotton, but I like natural fibres better, linen, wool. Are there new fancy fibres that are exciting? Yes. I'll tell you one. There's something called Infinited Fibre Company, which is based in Finland. And you know how I was just talking about the material to material recycling failures? Yes. <laughs> this is like an example of how we can do it. So they take cotton post-consumer waste and they turn it into new fibre. If we could just do that, that would be amazing. And this is quite a new company and lots of people are using it now, which is good. And it would be more sustainable than trying to reproduce it into cotton again, because that takes a lot more work to make it the same as the original cotton. Well, you have to break it down. So they have to break it down and then reconstruct it. it. Got it. Okay. Well, that brings us to cotton because that's another question that came up quite a lot on the Instagram questions is, is cotton ever okay? You mentioned you love cotton. I do because um, it breathes and it's nice to wear and it lasts and it's easy to wash. The water and the pesticides and insecticides issue is massive. I would imagine in Australia that's heightened as well because of, you know, the shortage of water, although yeah. <laughs> on the east coast of Australia at the moment, a little bit of a moot point. So how can we maybe purchase cotton in a responsible way? I'm going to come back to buy less of it, of everything. But if you're going to choose fibres, I would prefer to buy cotton over polyester. Cotton does have a high pesticide footprint and can be very thirsty, but it depends where it's grown and how it's grown. So if you're growing in regions where cotton can be rain fed, if you're using organic cotton or recycled cotton, which as I said is coming, then I think it can be good. It is controversial because of its water 
polyester and pesticide use. Is it worse than polyester? I was saying before we pressing record that it's hard to say A or B as a choice, but... I'd love to be able to pin you down to it. I'm sure everybody listening well, would like to any, know. I would always go for natural fibre over poly unless you're looking at performance like for the gym. Which I know you're not a massive fan of. See that face? I was like, which I've heard is the place people go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I think I'm seeing a theme emerge, which I like, which is buy products that you respect, love, will look after, and will also last a long time Mm. because that's the best way to go about things. I really think so. There isn't a recipe for buying the perfect sustainable fashion item. It comes down to your values and what thing you're going to prioritize and run after. So if you are concerned about animal welfare or you're a vegan, you're going to buy alternative leather products, not leather. And that's fine. I'm not going to tell you not to do that. You couldn't look into the ones that are doing the best job around their carbon, the ones that are trying to take action on reducing the amount of plastic. You can do that. But I think it comes down to your values. So for me, I'm looking for natural fibres because I know I'm going to get more wear out of them. They're going to work in my life better. Yeah, they're going to make me happy, which I think is actually the key to keeping stuff for longer. And I'm also looking for stuff that has been made ethically. And I'm always looking like, does this company respect human rights? Is it trashing the planet? Is it profligate fashion, fast fashion, wasteful rubbish? No, I'm not going to buy that. I think my best advice to people with this is it's complicated, but don't be intimidated. It's not your fault because this is the way the system works, mm. but do be curious. Do look into it. Be don't, alive to it. Don't just say it's not my problem. Look into it and say, how can I make better choices and, and educate yourself around it. It actually makes you like your clothes a lot more, I think. I agree. Hi, I'm Delon Grant. And I'm Francesca Ramsey. And together we host the podcast, Let Me Fix It. Each week we explore something from the past and then we pitch how to fix it for today. But forget about the past. Let's talk about the new show of the moment. Delon, did you get a chance to watch the new Queenie trailer I sent you? How dare you send me this amazing <laughs> show that took me back to every messy breakup I've ever had. Thank God I had you through my 20s. Now you could not pay me to go back and relive those days. But thankfully, we will be living as Queenie navigates her messy 20s. All episodes of Queenie premiere June 7th streaming on Hulu. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. Okay, let's talk about how we sometimes try to shop in a sustainable way, quote unquote. Let's talk about how successful that is um, as a concept. Why don't you tell me where your jumper's from? My jumper, oh God, I don't mind mentioning the label. It's Jack and Jack. I bought it about five years ago. I've worn it almost every day since. People are saying, why are you wearing it all the time? Because it actually is a really good fit. I go into the store and get it depilled. That's the service they offer. Good Australian label, trying to do the right thing with sustainability. And I keep my things, as you know, for a very long time. I get so much wear. My wear per unit is off the charts. So I'm very supportive. With wool, I often do buy it secondhand if it's good quality. I mean, that's the sign, isn't it, of a really good quality jumper if it's still in really good shape after 
however many years and multiple uses. So that's my answer there. But look, let's talk different shopping solutions. So rental fashion has become a thing. I've got friends who are all into it, but I have read it's not a great green sustainable option. Nonsense. Nonsense? Great. (laughs) Tell me why. Tell me why I'm wrong. I did research on this for a podcast because there was a very much shared and much commented in the media upon study that came out last year out of Finland where they looked at the That's the one I saw. Yep. Yeah. Of a rental. And they'd got these five different scenarios and they were ranking them. Like what's better rental reuse blah, blah, blah. And rental came out of the bottom, number five. But I interviewed the guy who was the lead author on the study. His name is Professor Jarko Levenman. So I asked him about it and he said it had been misreported. He then explained that while he stood by the study, for sure, the headlines just weren't really reflecting what it said. And so they'd actually looked at a pair of jeans as their kind of baseline thing. And they presumed that the jeans would be worn 200 times, which is probably true or probably good average but you don't rent jeans do you you rent a frock for Mm. a wedding or to go to a party and maybe you're wearing that three times and getting rid of it so if you actually look at wares which you have to do when you're thinking about whether or not the footprint of a garment is useful i think borrowing from a collective wardrobe whether that is from a swap or from a rental site has got to be good the problems come i guess if you're like sending it around the world lots of times to access it. Recycling, how effective is it? Are there moves in Australia, for instance, for improving this? Because I understand there's a really big gap, isn't there? Everyone knows it's a massive problem. People don't know where to put their stuff. I feel the same. My my trainers I'm wearing now are knackered. What am I going to do with them? Hmm. They can't be recycled easily. I don't know what to do with them. So I'm going to put them in the bin, right? I, I know I am. I'm trying to put that off. We don't have the systems in place. And that's why people drop off stuff that isn't in good nick to charity shops, not because they're horrible people, but because they don't Where know else? what else to do. And they think, oh, maybe they could do something with it because I can't. So we've got a big problem. Australia at the moment is trying to do some work around that. There's something called the product stewardship scheme for clothing and textiles, where they're just trying to look at the numbers and find out what we could be doing about it. But there's no real money. There's money for research, but there's no legislation in Australia that's Mm. forcing the industry to do stuff about this. And then what you've got is a few private operators trying to do stuff. There's something called Apparel in Melbourne, which is amazing, but there's no like main system. I think another thing, when I sort of did some work in this area for my book, it was sort of a slight segue, the op shops and binnies and so on, they say, please don't send us the stuff that you wouldn't happily give to a friend to wear because we then have to send it to landfill. My understanding from sort of research when I was writing my book was that around about 5% of stuff that is donated ends up being sold in store and the rest has to be either recycled in a sort of paltry sense or sent to landfill. Now, I, I think there's a lot of contention on the figures and I think it comes from the fact that we want to sort of present the good figures because we don't want to discourage people from sending good quality stuff to the op shops. Yes. I have heard that around 15% is sold in op shops yeah, in Australia. Okay. But I, I knew there's know. discrepancy. Yeah. And I think it would depend even, where. But even if it is, that's still rubbish, isn't it? It is. And my question to people when they tell me that, oh, look, don't worry, Sarah, I'm taking it all to the op shop. And I'm like, well, when was the last time you bought clothing at St. Vinnie's or wherever it might be? I almost think that there needs to be a sort of a, you can only donate an op shop if you also purchase the same amount. You know what I mean? Like you actually buy your own new stuff there. The sums I can't imagine add up. I think what you're saying is absolutely right that op shops really don't want that the advice is don't give us stuff you wouldn't give your sister or your friend because what are we supposed to do with it? We're not like 
a rubbish recycling service. So I think that's the best advice. I have also heard people in that sector say we don't want to put people off donating. We need that money for charities and we want people to donate. But I think what people might not know is that a lot of what is donated gets exported. So if it's not deemed good enough for Australian stores, it gets sent to other countries. And what are we saying then? We're saying well, it's not good enough for us, but you can have it. I yeah. find that extremely And I've read stories about how it turns up at these big marketplaces where then it's then got to be repurposed in all these intricate ways. So it's a very complex system. We can't just put it outside St Vinnie's and think we've done our bit. And you've seen it, right? You've seen outside ah. those bins garbage being put, I think, in the dead of night because people are ashamed. Always in the dead of night. I totally agree. There's one around the corner from where I live and I see that all the time. I upcycle in the sense that I'll get a T-shirt where there's sweaty bits under the arms, but I love the, you know, it's still in good shape-ish on the front, you know, and I'll just cut off the arms that's and turn it into what, a singlet. Is absolutely. that upcycling? I love that. Yeah. I think that's that's what I would see it as. So for me, it's that. It's like people using their creative skills to turn something that is falling apart or not doing a good job anymore into something better. And Jeans we, into shorts. Yeah. 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 And I really recommend it. Like sweaty armpit stains, just do a really deep cut singlet, which, you know, is very flattering and you get a really cool kind of looking singlet. I and, think why, and, and isn't that fun? Like when we talk about all the kind of misery around the stats on fashion's trashing the planet, I always have a little bit of a... I'm a bit disappointed in myself for putting this message out there because even though I think it's very important, I love clothes and fashion. I find them creatively expressive. I think it's really fun. I love getting dressed up and talking to people about what they're wearing. This is my hobby. It's my, I'm not going to say it's my passion, but it's something I really enjoy. And I think that's why people come to fashion for fun. And so we need to keep that element. Otherwise people are going to switch off. They're going to go, stop making me feel guilty. That's not what I came for. So for me, this idea of upcycling, working with young designers who've got incredible ideas of turning old stuff into new stuff, that's one of the ways we can keep the fun. And I also argue that when you've got a narrower wardrobe and you haven't just gone to the shops and bought the latest thing and it's at the front of your wardrobe, you sort of have to be creative. And I've always loved that, you know, to kind of dig through stuff that's in some cases, like I've got a dress that I bought when I was 18 and I upcycled it after the hem got caught in a bike chain at some stage, you know, it was a daggy length anyway. And I sort of had to cut it and re-hem I it. I know this dress, Sarah. We know each other at Sassen Bide. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You would be right. Gosh, I'm that predictable. No, but- you're not. It's just be- no, no, no. It's because I love these stories and I've got friends who I pick the brains of around, tell me the story of this dress. Tell me what about yeah. this thing. Because to me, that's what makes it interesting. Yeah. I bought this last week from XYZ brand. Doesn't interest me at all. The story of what did I do in this outfit? How did I change while I owned it over the years? I love that. It gets awkward when people say, where did you get that? Whatever <laughs> it is. I'm like, oh, it was about 12 the rag bag. years ago. And I think I bought it a from like a homeless man in Harlem, which is, I've got about three things from that, or the woman who died upstairs, who was the same height as me and her husband brought all his, all the clothes down. Well, hang on. The woman who died upstairs, thank you very much, lady from upstairs. Isn't that what all the great vintage things are? They yeah. are dead people's clothes. Yeah. And that's some of them. It's this beautiful some story. Some of them are passed on clothes. But good. Like, yeah. I want to keep breathing life into those garments. I, I wear the dress wonderful. my grandmother wore to my parents' engagement. I wore it at a charity event. And people say, where did you get that wonderful dress? Shall I tell you something awful to bring it back down to misery? Oh, yeah, please. When I was talking to you about what happens with some 
of our exported clothing that ends up in Ghana. And I should say it's not that much from Australia because of Western East Coast of Africa, more of our stuff goes to Kenya. But anyway, the big secondhand clothing markets, they're called Kamtamanto in Accra mm, in Ghana. The photos. They call this stuff dead white man's clothes. And that's because when it first used to flood the market, they were like, these people must be dead because why else would we have this stuff? Right. <gasps> Is that where the phrase came from? That says a lot about all kinds of assumptions that are in fact not correct. I'm so gloomy. I'm sorry. <laughs> like no. You were telling me something nice and I'm like, well. So yeah, look, secondhand can be a problem as well. And this is where we probably get to carbon emissions. So whether it's hiring clothing, you know, clothing rentals, or whether it's any of these various options, but on the online element or the courier element is something that we've got to bear in mind here. And I did read that over the past 10 years, the average percentage of carbon emissions that have been avoided due to resale amounts to less than one hundredth of one percent. Really? And I imagine, and I think I have this right, it is because of the carbon emissions that still have to be spent trying to move this clothing around, well, the world Mm. in, in many cases. And that's something to bear in mind. I also just want to touch on the online shopping thing. A third of online purchases is returned because I know people who go, oh, well, can I just buy a size 12 and a 14 and I send back the one that's not the right size? And we assume they're just going to put it back up on Mm. this virtual rack, but the bulk of it just gets thrown because it's more effort to go and try to recategorize it in the warehouse. I'm so glad that you brought this up, Sarah, because I didn't know anything about this. And then I read this story in The Atlantic and this journalist spent months investigating mostly in the US, but we can imagine this is replicated elsewhere. The story of online returns, how no one admits how much is sent back, but essentially almost everything that is sent back, it's cheaper to get rid of it, burn it, destroy it, then return it to inventory. And think about, you get something from Net-A-Porter or Matches. I'm not saying they're implicated in the story. I'm just throwing out there at ASOS, an international fashion e-commerce site, right? That gets sent from a warehouse, not in Australia, like somewhere, for example, in Singapore, it's come originally from a designer that could be in New York or could be in Paris or could be in Lagos. It's then been sent to this sorting office and sent out to you. You then get it days later. And maybe you've got four different sizes because returns are free. Or colours. Yeah, you try it on. Maybe you're going to try it on, put, put a picture of yourself on Instagram. That happens. No intention of keeping any of it. And then you think, oh, I don't really want this. I'll send it back. It takes days. Ten days later, it comes back to the sorting facility. Now, in this story in the Atlantic, she's talking about huge volumes of clothing at all price points being destroyed because it's too expensive to put it back into inventory or it's past its sale date. Mm-hmm. You know, the price has been reduced so much. Who no knew one that was a date on fashion? Well, yeah. <laughs> but I think that to me really struck me because I just didn't know. But I think it's the front line and of all of this, isn't it? But all that stuff people buy on Amazon, you know, you get like a massive box with loads of plastic packaging in it and then some little tech gadget and then you send that back. Same story. The conclusion I arrived at many years ago is that this is a clusterfuck of (laughs) so much stuff and where do we start? And so I, as I do with many things, I go, well, you just stop. I just stop going to the shops. People say to me, how do you live so minimally? I'm like, I don't go to the shops. When you don't go to the shops, you don't see the billboards. You don't get sucked into the trends. People say, oh, online advertising. I don't even get it because I don't even shop online. So first thing I don't do is do shopping as a pastime. I don't get sucked into it. Well, I very rarely shop online. I only ever do it when they're small packages. I know they're from a Sydney a local warehouse, so the carbon miles aren't huge, and I buy several things at once. So it comes, you know, and I calculate whether it'll arrive in one bulk, you know, one bulk package. 
if I buy, I'm happy to buy new, but I will buy very high quality and I'm very happy to pay full price. One of the big misnomers that I still hear people say is, oh, Sarah, you'll love this. I've got this half price. Or Sarah, you'll love this. This was only 10 bucks. I'm like, oh my goodness, I do not know where to start with this. I think that is shifting, but really only a couple of years ago, people were still equating cheap with good shopping habits. You know, I will buy full price. I will pay top dollar if the fabric is really good. I also educate myself on fabric. I used to work at Lincraft and Home Yard Did years you? ago. Yeah. So I'm very big on biases and the way that's been cut and seen. I look at seams and make sure they've been sewn correctly. Mm. And that's always a sign that it will fall well and last a long time and it won't fall apart at the seams. I basically don't throw anything out. And this is something that I think a lot of people get lost in. They think that if they're having a clean out mm. and they've got this minimal looking wardrobe, they've achieved something. But invariably, it means they just go back shopping again when they realize, oh, I really do need an A-line skirt for whatever event it might be. I also hand wash a lot of things and I enjoy the process of hand washing. I hand wash my silk. I live with the fabric. Do you know what I mean? Like when you hand wash, you've got a respect for it. You treat it gently. And my silk lasts forever. I've got silk shirts from Scanlon Theodore that are 20 years old. I also repair. So I have a sort of a, a darning kind of bucket and everything goes in there. And then sort of every now and then on a Sunday when I'm watching some current affairs program that I've recorded, welcome to my life, Claire. You've got a visual now, don't you? I sit and I, and I mend things and I quite love it. That's what I do. It's basically, like I say, with um, food, shop and eat like your grandmother, shop and mend and live with your clothing like your grandmother did or your great-grandmother. So I would love to get your take and including any washing tips as well. One of the things you can do if you are a person with heaps of polyester stuff is buy a wash bag or it's called a guppy and stick it in your washing machine so that it can capture the plastic fibers. The microplastics. Great. I mean, that is one thing you can do, but I think what's what it called? A guppy. Guppy. G-U-P-P. I think that's like the fish. So, (laughs) oh, I've seen that. So that it it, it captures the microplastics and then you can what? Dispose of them. You have to throw them in the bin. I mean, it's not a perfect thing. So it doesn't go out to the ocean. Yeah. What we need is to retrofit all of our washing machines with filters, but that's not possible yet. And And they have a service where they can be collected and repurposed. I I mean, gosh, that's Mm, a good one. But I think... What do I do? I don't think very much about washing. I have a washing bag, by the way. I'm just going to throw that in. These little zip-up bags. So when you wash your bra or delicates that you, you know, on a delicate side, I put them in there so that they don't get cut and molested by other things with zips and buttons. I think the point is, you're right, it's about looking after your stuff. And if Mm -hmm. you just invest a bit more time and energy in looking after your stuff, it's going to last for longer and then you're not going to be adding to that gargantuan waste problem we've already talked about. So I think that is important. And I also think it's amazing if you can reconnect with mending skills or if you can't, because I'm not very handy with that, get familiar with people in your neighborhood who can do that. I've got somebody down the road who loves it. Yeah. I just buy her a bottle of wine and she's happy. So I think exactly caring for your stuff. I always talk about reconnecting with it, which is what you said when you're talking about hand washing your stuff. If you think more about the garments that live in your lives, you have a better relationship with them. And for me, this all comes back to our relationships with each other, with the planet, with the people who make our clothes, who are often, and I know we're not talking about this in this podcast, but often having the worst time when it comes to exploitation. If we reconnect with the stories behind our stuff, yes. if we just see it as being something other than disposable, which it isn't, we can change our relationship with fashion. And that is to me kind of, it's also selfish because it makes it better for me. I like it more. It's more enriching. I'm more bothered about it. 
than I would be if I wasn't engaged with the story behind how stuff was made and what's going to happen to it when I'm done with it. So I, I know that sounds quite wafty. Yeah. What about I some think, granulars? Like, are there ways I, that you research? Or are there, yeah. how do you know which labels do you try to buy Australia? Anything yeah. like that? Well, three things. One, buy less and everybody can do that. Think overnight before you buy something. Mm. Don't go miserable to the mall with your credit card in your pocket and think that a quick fix will make you feel better about your breakup. That is a thing. Mm. Don't do that. Mm. Or if you do, else. Look at it, try it on, leave it a few days. That's that's what was a technique from our teenage years, wasn't it? Yeah. I yeah. mean, so do you really need it? And if you decide you do, fantastic. Buy something that you'll like to really appreciate. And then my tips on how to do that would be there are resources out there that you can use to find out which brands are doing Ooh, good. good stuff. Like a scorecard type thing. Can you tell us what those would be? And I know they're not going to be perfect. And I know it's going to depend on whether it's animal welfare, yeah. ethics, yeah. sustainability. Give us a couple and I'll also put them in the show notes. There is an app that anyone can get for free on their phone called Good On You, which gives you top line intel on how brands score according to their internal scoring system around, I think it's like how well they do on people, planet and animals. And so you can just have a quick look at that and it's not going to be perfect, but it'll give, give you some intel. You go, oh, boohoo, got bad, bad, bad. I won't get that then. And then this label here got excellent. So I'll look into it. There is an organization called Fashion Revolution, which is a campaigning yep organization that tries to get consumers to ask who made my clothes, what's in my clothes. They put out great reports. There's one called the Fashion Transparency Index. If you're into that stuff, if you're a nerd, you can get it online for free and it will just tell you how much different brands disclose about their practices, including production volumes, action on carbon, how they treat their workers. There's an Australian report called the Ethical Fashion Reports, which is put out by Baptist World Aid, where they do quite a lot of deep research into big brands and find out what they're doing wrong as well as what they're doing right. Oxfam has this thing called Naughty and Nice, where you can look at... That sounds simple. Yeah, it's simple. You can just see who's at least trying to do better. Okay. But uh, my, my big advice would be if you love a brand or you saw a garment that you're interested in buying, like I'm wearing some jeans today by an Australian made in Melbourne brand, go on their website and find out what they tell you. And I think that's the best thing. Brands that are doing terrible things tell you nothing. Although I will say that she in one of the worst corporates oh, well, in the world oh, does oh, have oh. a sustainability page well, on their website. And I think they've got an ESG officer. You've got to read that with a critical eye. Yes. If it says for the future and it costs four pounds. <laughs> no. I have big question marks hovering. Okay. I'm going to give you a quick five things quiz. Apart from your own sites, your own tr products and so on. Instagram site that we can look out for, that we can follow which will give us great info. You could follow the OR Foundation, which is... OR? Yes, the and then OR, which is the organization that works in Cantamanta Markets in Ghana. It's run by someone called Liz Ricketts, and it's full of really interesting information about waste colonialism. But let me say, if you also want to just look at someone telling you cool stuff that's more accessible... There's an influencer that I follow in Melbourne. Her name is Maggie Zhu, Z-H-O-U. We'll share her handle and she writes for various websites, but she's young. She's into sustainable fashion and I like how accessible she is. A book, apart from wardrobe crisis. <laughs> well, I wrote <laughs> I like a book written by my friend Ursula de Castro. Uh, she is the co-founder of Fashion Revolution and it's called Loved Clothes Last. And it's all a kind of story about making and mending and upcycling and Ooh, activism. Label. Are there labels that you think are doing exciting things we can look out for? Perhaps an Australian one that you think are doing good stuff? Actually, the other day I was in 
the Sydney store for the social outfit, which is a social yeah, enterprise. Yeah, I have worked with them. They're amazing. They train refugees and new migrants in fashion skills. They make everything using donated dead stock from local designers. So fabrics from Gorman or from Camilla and Mark. You see all the sort of fabrics. I recognise a few of them. I've got two of their pieces, actually. And if that's not local to you, I mean, they've got a website, but look for those kinds of social enterprises, small designers who are doing cool stuff, who can tell you stories and who you can actually meet, whether it's on social media or in a store. That, to me, is the unlock to finding something with a story that you're going to care about. Finally, a documentary. Oh, well, everyone talks about The True Cost, which is quite old. It came out in 2015. I mean, sure, watch that. It's got good stuff in it. But I feel like the conversation has moved on since then. Have you heard of one, Kay Montano, who's a makeup artist um, based in the UK, done a lot of work for all the big magazines. You've probably come across her. She recommended one. She said, ask your guest if she knows, is it the man in the white suit? Have you come across that one? I'm going to put it in the show notes. It's about a guy who got so fed up with waste. 1951, the movie was made, and he invents a white suit that is non-crushable, doesn't get dirty, thinks really? he solved the sustainability crisis oh in 1951. Uh, it goes pear-shaped for some reason, but I'll put that one in the show notes as well. I just thought of one. There's a new one. I haven't seen it, but I've read a lot about it. It's called Slay, and it's about fashion and leather and animals. Okay. Harsh. Okay. But I think actually required a viewing. All right. I will put all of these in the show notes. This is a hard problem, Claire. Thank you so much for wrestling with me this morning on it. And I think the real takeaway is that there isn't an easy solution. What we need to do is actually be as responsible as we can, engage with it, be alive to it. And I think I agree with you. Fashion is an expression. It always has been. Um, We've just got to find a new way to do this sort of artful expression. I think this is why I was so excited to have this conversation with you about this, Sarah, because it comes back to how you approach your work in sustainability and how you live. It's really just about a bit of common sense, figuring out where you're going to reconnect what actually makes you happy, which is not a load of consumerism, and then making small incremental changes that make you more connected with impact. That's all possible. We can do it. It's not actually rocket science. So when we talk about, yeah, it's hard, which it is, the techie stuff, the stats, the doom and gloom, it is hard. But I think the answer is more simple. I think the answer lies with us. Enjoy what you're doing. I have a hashtag, hike, don't shop, because while you're hiking, (laughs) you can't shop and you're doing something better with your time. Love it. Claire Press, thank you so much. Thank you very much. There is a lot of data to take in from that conversation, but a couple of the factoids I'd love everyone to keep in mind as they go about the art of putting clothes on their back are that recycling, renting, passing things onto op shops, it's not a fix to this problem. Even reselling and upcycling, you know, the carbon emissions saved are close to zilch, like less than one hundredth of one percent. Of course, I will say that if you do the upcycling yourself and if you buy secondhand local and you're not doing it online requiring couriers, that is probably a very different story. So the second thing is that online shopping and anything that requires getting couriers, especially from the other side of the planet, you know, it's got to be avoided. Just don't do it. And especially if there's even a small chance that the size or the color or the fit might be wrong, just don't even think about it. Now, at the outset, I did acknowledge that fashion often, and for many, is an artful expression. But what we consider and respect for being artful needs to change radically. 
our sense of style has to change from, you know, abundant layers that we mix and match and churn through to the French way of dressing, which is to say less items, more expensive, and probably more artfully or creatively put together. We also need to get real. Fashion is not and probably never will be even close to sustainable. We need to stop kidding ourselves. And when we do this, we can then accept that we and the fashion brands, the big corporates, will need to pay for this reality. Carbon and water used by the fashion industry, for example, should be taxed to include the social costs. This would then discourage their use, lead to innovation and accelerate the adoption of renewable energy. Governments, I think, should adopt extended producer responsibility, which is often called EPR. It's legislation, which is done in some countries already with carpets, mattresses and, and paint, I think. They're laws that require manufacturers to pay up front for the costs of disposing their goods. I mean, that would be an awesome idea. They probably should also be mandating supply chain mapping before brands can make any kind of green claim all of which means we as consumers will have to pay more and way less often. I mean, the thing is, as the sustainability debate gets super real, there will be industries that have to remain dirty, you know, and so as a result, we need to start seeing them as expensive luxuries. Concrete, steel are examples, so is flying, and of course, fashion. We can't call it sustainable fashion any longer. We probably, though, can do responsible fashion. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just, I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. Fashion. Now there's a wild idea. For anyone who wants to tune in to all this stuff, I've put the information, all of the tips, the notes, the links, and Claire's suggestions in the show notes. Be sure to check them out and I'll see you all next week. <laughs>